to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thank you so much for joining me. One thing making me happy this week, and it might be a little self-serving, I don't know, but I just received my first order of Happy Writer Podcast merchandise, and I'm so giddy about it. Um, I've, of course, had swag made for books, um, but I've never had quote-unquote merchandise before. Uh, so this is kind of a new fun thing. Um, the goodies were all designed by Taylor from uh, who is Kiwi and the Bird on Instagram. You should definitely follow the account. She does all sorts of really fun bookish things um, and like quizzes and challenges on there. So check out Kiwi and the Bird on Instagram. Um, and the merchandise that she designed is just fantastic. It is all so fun and so cheerful. And I had a really hard time deciding what I wanted to order for myself to enjoy, but I ended up getting a t-shirt and a couple of new notebooks and like a really pretty tote bag. And I just really love it. I'm super, super excited. Um, I also did order up a few extras. Uh, so at some point here in the near-ish future, we will definitely be hosting a giveaway for some Happy Writer merchandise. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And of course, if you want to go ahead and check out the goodies, I really hope you do because I love it so much. Um, it is all on Redbubble. And I think the easiest way to get there is to just search The Happy Writer. I could give you a link, but it's long and obnoxious. So The Happy Writer on Red Redbubble. I'm really excited about it. Of course, I am also so happy to be talking to today's guest. She's a self-taught artist with a degree in computer science who generates creative nonsense in all forms of media. Her debut novel, Violet Made of Thorns, just came out last month. Please welcome Gina Chen. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Also very excited for your new merchandise. I did not know about that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, you know what? I could send you something since you are actually <laughs> like the first? on the podcast episode when we're talking about this. Oh my God. No, I, I have to look at the red bubble and like choose. I'll put like some stickers on my laptop. Yeah, no, we've got stickers. There is, I mean, so many things and a lot of random things. Like you could get pillows. You could get a a bath curtain like a lot of yeah. things and I was like I hope somebody orders a bath curtain because that would just make me really happy I know right like once you start you can't stop but it's, it's also very funny because I see those bath curtains all the time on like society six as well and yeah. I'm like I don't I don't know what the market is for this but if they're if they have it for sale clearly there must be one right there must yeah. be somebody who's buying it to make it worthwhile yeah. Um, yeah, no, the, the notebooks are probably my favorite thing. The tote bag is great because you can always use more tote bags, but the notebooks are like really decent quality and I wasn't yeah. sure what to expect. And so, yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. <laughs> you can never have too many. Exactly. Exactly. I know which of us doesn't have a drawer full <laughs> of notebooks lying around, but you can't resist new ones. Um, so anyway, thank you so much for being here. Um, I have to admit, I am not done with the book. I have maybe like 30 pages left. And the good, the good part. 
it is. Oh my gosh. It's so good. I'm so enjoying it. And as soon as we're done talking today, (laughs) I am going to go pour myself a glass of wine and sit out on the patio and finish reading it. And I'm just like really looking forward to my afternoon. (laughs) Um, I hope you enjoy the rest. It's yeah, it's very many things happen all at once. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I won't tell you where I am because I don't, of course, want to spoil things for listeners, but I'm like just finished a chapter that had like a really big cliffhanger. So I'm like, oh, what's happening? Ah, yes. I think I know where you are. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I am assuming I'm definitely getting the vibe that all of our loose ends are not going to be neatly tied up in the next 30 pages. There there Um, is a second book. Yes. Okay. Yes. I was going to ask, are we duology trilogy? So two, two books? Two books, but I actually specifically wrote the the first book, so that it kind of stands alone. Um, I've had people tell me both. I've had people go like, "Why did you leave this at this cliffhanger?" And then a lot of people appreciating that is like, "Oh, you it kind of stands alone, and then you can read up the sequel if you want to." Interesting. Yeah. Okay, that's kind of a hard balance to strike. I yeah. feel. I think it all comes down to the epilogue, which I really like. It's probably my favorite part of the story. Okay, that's good yeah. to know. Now I'm excited. I love a good epilogue. I was like, we're, we're already all over the place. That's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I know well, you had questions prepared, but I'm like, oh, I'm just going to keep blazing through. <laughs> yeah, no, that works. We, you know, it's just yeah. talking about books and writing. Yeah. Um, but I will launch into the, the first question that we ask all of our guests. Um, I'd love to hear your origin story. How did you become a writer? Oh yeah, of course. I, um, always say I came from fan fiction well, because I, I did. Um, Me I too. Think, Pause. Oh, what did you write fanfic for? Oh God. Okay. Okay. So whenever people ask me this, now I have to go all the way back. Um, <laughs> I say I start started writing fan fiction in college but the reality is when I was like seven or eight I was writing stories about neopets and pokemon and stuff like that nice. um, so I think it was like a very early like I've always been telling stories I didn't know I was telling stories I was having fun playing pretend with all my friends on the playground and but also making up origin stories for everyone and slowly realizing I was the only one doing that um, <laughs> everyone else was having fun but I was the one creating everything I was like oh, maybe this is something that I'm into um and then I think like throughout school um I didn't I just didn't realize I liked writing because I was really bad at writing essays and the fiction writing also falls out of the the school curriculum after like elementary school or so Hmm. um so they don't really encourage that um so it wasn't until I went to college um studied computer science, had to do something completely different to take up my time. Otherwise I would probably go crazy. (laughs) Um, And it it was just, it just happened to be um, fan fiction. Um, I wrote Harry Potter fan fiction back then before it got all weird. Um, (laughs) um, And I got most of my readership from there. I I wrote like, my total was like 350,000 words of fan fiction back then. Nice. Uh, It was quite a big chunk. And I never thought about getting published. Um, I never wrote anything original back then. It wasn't until I finished all that, um, that I thought, well, a lot of people kept asking me, like, are you, are you writing a novel? Are you writing something original? Because I love your writing so much. And it was because of these readers um, who I always interacted with um, that in- they're the ones who encouraged me to uh, try writing a manuscript for the first time. Um, mostly because I had never expected to reach so many readers around the world, like just with my online writing. Um, it was something that I 
was writing just just because I had some silly stories I wanted to uh, share because the stories I wanted to read um, weren't there at the time. I was like, oh, I kind of want this heroine who's kind of prickly and who, you know, is is kind of genuinely kind of mean and who doesn't get totally redeemed, um, who doesn't, I guess, um, get Disney Channelified. Like, I love a little, you know, Disney Channel to come, but sometimes it's like, well maybe I don't want the heroine to want to do the selfless thing in the end. (laughs) So uh, that's, that's where a lot of my early stories uh, stemmed from just like putting, uh, creating heroines that um, I wasn't seeing in media at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, when I, when I stopped writing fan fiction, uh, I did have to stop writing fan fiction to start writing the original stuff because it was taking up all my time. Um, I, it took about three years to finish the manuscript for Violet. Um, it, it is my first original uh, work. Um, in the middle of it, I started writing fan fiction again. Incidentally, about three months before I started wrote, before I finished the manuscript, um, because I didn't want to finish writing the manuscript, but that's how it always is. Uh, and also in that time, I wrote a short story that got published in an anthology. So that was actually my first taste of uh, publishing. It was in the Foreshadow anthology. I was very fortunate to be in that anthology. It's by uh, it's uh, curated by or created by Emily X R Pan and Nova Rensuma, uh, specifically to highlight new voices in publishing. And it's really exciting because, uh, well, all of the all of the people who were published in that anthology were not agented, were not published at the time. Um, and now four of us are debuting in 2022. And then um, another one is debuting in 2023 so far. And a couple more of us, I think many of us are agented. Um, so that's a really exciting time for all of us. I want to shout out The Witchery by S. Isabel, who, whose book also came out on July 26th. And then the next up is uh, Monsters Born and Made by Tanvi Burva. And then uh, Drizzles, Dreams, and Love Struck Things by Maya Prasad. Um, and the next year is going to be Linda Chang's K-pop horror book. So that's very exciting. A K-pop um, horror book? Yeah, I know. You've heard about K-pop rom-coms, but now... It's <laughs> um, time to branch out. I love it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just really excited to be sharing like so much of my um, publishing journey with other like writers along the way. Um, I can't believe all of us are getting published. That's so exciting. That's yeah. awesome. It's like the, the anthology is like your fairy godmother. <laughs> it really is. Um, Sabata here chose my story for the anthology and I'm like, uh, I'm like, and she also blurbed Violet and I'm like, oh my God, thank you. Like every time I see her, I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, she's like, no, 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 you don't have to thank me. And I'm like, you don't understand. I do have to thank you and like pour out my heart every time I see you. <laughs> so so you were in the anthology. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're working on Violet. You oh, yes. finally, eventually, of course, finished the manuscript. And yes. then oh, and then it was then? it was a very um it was a very like blessed publishing experience for Violet. I queried right at the start of pandemic actually but um and then I got um an agent by summertime um and then after I did some edits uh, I went on submission and and it only took about a week to sell the book so I was like 
like it was this was mid-pandemic when everyone was stressing about books being acquired. So I felt mm-hmm. so lucky about that. Um and and foreshadow once again also helped with that because the first time my editor read my writing was actually through that short story. So I was on her radar like already a year earlier and she was waiting for this like she she saw me tweeting about this manuscript I was writing and she wanted it as soon as I was as I was done. So I knew she read it like immediately. Oh um, cool. Yeah, so it's it truly like all these little publishing experiences do like they they can create some like amazing opportunities for you. Um yeah. I'm I'm like I'm so happy about that. But yeah, and then um the the rest of my publishing experience has been during the pandemic, but it's been okay. Um I think everyone sort of learned how to operate online since then. Um, so we're slowly moving back out into in-person events. And I just had mine at Mysterious Galaxy. And that was great. That was really great meeting people in person. And of course, at Comic-Con as well, right before that. Yeah. Um, I met so many people. I met people who I've only known online. And that's really that's really amazing. From, from, from fandom as well. So that was amazing. Yeah. So yeah. Um, at the time of this recording, the book's been out for about a week. Has mm-hmm. there been any like really big surprises or like really big highlights from your launch uh there have been like only good surprises and like that that like it's just things I have not expected um coming up every day and that's been amazing um like we were highlighted in the uh I say we a, a couple of us uh debuts from 2022 were highlighted in the New York Times I was like oh that was amazing I could oh, not yeah. pick up a I could not pick up a Sunday copy unfortunately um, I'm still trying to hunt that down um and then today I found out my Barnes and Noble special edition sold out online which is apparently good and bad <laughs> um so good problem to have. <laughs> a, good, a good problem to have um and no, it's just been exciting seeing people tag me and there's gorgeous photos. There's so many that I haven't even gotten to yet. Um, and people messaging me about like the ending. And it's like, this, this is like the sort of interaction that I, I missed from having, from when I wrote fan fiction. Yeah. Um, and after I took that long pause. So um, it's been great to experience that again. I am not reading any reviews whatsoever. So oh I'm safe. I'm safe from that. Um, I am a big proponent of like the author is dead. So, you know, however you interpret my story, um, all the readers out there, I think that's like, personal to them. So I don't, uh, I don't really try to talk too much about uh, what I think my story is about, because I think what my story is about is the story I presented. Mm-hmm. And there's no other way I can explain it. I was like, if you like talk about your book, I was like, well, you could just read the book. That's that's what I wanted to say with the book. Um, so, um, but yeah, but I'm glad for like everyone who's messaging me about this stuff. You know, like I, I love just, you know, chatting casually about that. I will not tell you what anything means, but you know. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. No, I, I also avoid reading reviews um, and also trying to like psychoanalyze my own work. I'm, I'm with yeah. you. I feel like that's better left. Uh, to the readers and and everybody kind of comes to a book with their own background, their own perspective. You know, we all kind of are looking through a different lens at the work. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's for book clubs yeah. and literature courses. <laughs> yeah. I think like media is like deeply personal to every single person. It's, it's why like I can see something and be like, Oh, that's, that's like a good piece of, that's a good piece of art, but I, you know, I can't really connect to it personally, but I can understand it's good. Yeah. And then at other times when I'm like, Oh, this is like, maybe this is like something I can see already does not appeal to many people, but it speaks to me so personally. And isn't that the most important part? Definitely. Yeah. 
And it's funny too, because as a writer, like I do think about themes and Mm -hmm. symbolism and, you know, there might be a a motif that I, you know, really put a lot of effort into carrying throughout the story, Mm -hmm. but it feels like readers never pick up on the things that were intentional (laughs) by me, but a reader will come and be like, wow, I really love the symbolism of this totally random thing that never even crossed my mind. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah. And it like, and it also doesn't mean that it wasn't there in the first place. Like I've also had readers, um, actually, I think one very important part, um, of Violet stories. So Violet story is actually based off of, uh, some older stories that I've written, um, the character in particular, uh, I, cause I've always been writing heroines like Violet who are kind of like prickly and hard to get and very blunt, um, very brash. Um, and specifically the, I've, I've had a reader ask me whether my characters are um, aromantic and it was not something I had considered before because it was just not something I had experienced with. Mm. Um, and then it was only after, like, after I wrote, uh, I wrote Violet some more that I realized, oh, I feel like she, she is aromantic. Um, I feel like, and then like, I also realized that, like, oh, I am probably also um, on the uh uh, ace spectrum interesting um, yeah so yeah so that came from a reader completely and it was not something I had consciously intended it was I was writing from experience I was writing from um just just uh, law things that I have uh, thought long about the romance genre that it couldn't connect with and then someone pointed it out and like oh yeah that explains everything <laughs> right right yeah no, it is funny when we get little windows into our own yeah. psyche and subconscious. It's like, wow, someone picked yeah. up on that and I was totally clueless. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think it's really funny because um, I think authors often ask uh, or hope that readers relate to their characters, especially like YA authors who are writing these coming of ages. But sometimes I'm like, oh, I can, like, it's important for me to be able to, like, relate to the readers. I'm like, oh, I am actually seen in these reader responses because, yeah. like, just just as our stories show that readers are not alone, like, these readers also show that we are not alone. Yeah. So it goes both ways. No, definitely. It's a symbiotic yeah. relationship. Yeah. Um, all right. That seems like a good place to pause. And yeah. would you please tell listeners who haven't yet read uh, mm-hmm. Violet Made of Thorns, what is this book about? Oh, yes. It is about a seer who sometimes tells lies about her prophecies and also the cursed prince that she gets very entangled with in more ways than one. Uh, there is a terrible <laughs> <Nicker> prophecy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And yes, there is a terrible prophecy that binds the two together. And she has to figure out uh, whether she will be the hero or villain of the story. I... Love it. I I really am so enjoying this book um, and can't wait to see where it's going and how it ends. Um, So let's start because you've already kind of talked a little bit about Violet and about writing female protagonists who Mm -hmm. are a little prickly and, you know, she's a little grouchy. She's a little standoffish. Um, But I loved her and I love that the book is written from first person because she Mm -hmm. just has such 
a wonderful voice. Like she's snarky and dry, <laughs> but not in an obnoxious way. And I think that that is a difficult thing to capture. I'm uh, so glad. Um, no, that's like the most fun part about writing her because she gets to just say all these things on her mind and I don't filter her at all because she's, ta- I feel like she's talking directly to the reader. So she's kind of like letting the reader in on all her little secrets as if they're right behind her. Um, and I intentionally wrote it that way. So it's like very personal and close, like a diary entry almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where did her voice come from? Like, did you spend a lot of time developing her character? Did it change over multiple drafts? Or was it like just really clear from page one? How did that develop? I think her voice was always clear, but that's also because I really loved all those snarky um, heroines in like 90s teen comedies. Um, stuff <laughs> oh, like, that's where it came Yeah. From. <laughs> uh, like 10 Things I Hate About You still yes. holds up. It's so it's classic. And like, I, yeah, like it's all from the 90s. I don't know what people are watching now um, because I'm like a little out of the range now, but that's that's what I grew up with. I hope there's mm-hmm. still that kind of snark going around now. Um, sometimes you just, you you have to, I, I can't curse, but sometimes you don't have to, you know, give, give a second thought to what the world thinks about you <laughs> is how I would say it. Yeah. No, now that you've said that, like, yes, Julia Stiles, 10 Things I Hate About You, I can see the influence. Yeah. <laughs> I can see it there. She's a favorite. And she's still she's still going around in memes today. So yeah. I, I'm glad she's still relevant. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love uh, definitely one of my all-time favorite romantic movies. Same. Um, and actually, and it's perfect because one of the things, of course, that I love about 10 Things I Hate About You that most people love about it is that it's got this just wonderful hate to love romance, <laughs> which is like probably my favorite trope of all time. Um, and we also have this fantastic hate to love, enemies to lovers romance in Violet. Is yeah, this it's... also one of your favorite tropes? Um, I love... I. I love when people get off on the wrong foot. I don't know if I like like enemies lover to lovers specifically because I'm not necessarily about like the uh, the the killing murder aspect of it. A lot of people are into. <laughs> um, I, I support everyone who loves a, a dagger to the throat, and I also love a dagger to the throat. But I think for me, it's actually just like about the emo- like the deeper emotions about it. It's just like a. Um, I call, I call Violet and Cyrus two things. Um, the first one I call is, um, they're actually, I can fix her meets I can make him worse, yeah. which I think is a very fun dynamic. <laughs> um, and like another way to say that is they're, they're kind of like disappointments to each other. That's where their antagonism lies. They, I feel like they actually want to like each other very much, but they just keep disappointing each other because they don't meet up meet each other's expectations. Um, and I think that's really interesting because they actually there's there's a different kind of stake there where you actually care about you, you you do care about the other person, but you feel like it's not worth it to care about the other person for some reason, like because they they keep being so frustrating. Yeah. Um, and I, I also just love like that kind of sort of tender bickering. Um, I confess I have not seen the entirety of it, but I think about like, or my friends always send me the, the Princess Diaries 2 scenes <laughs> um, where they bicker all the time and then they, they make out. 
So I feel like it's that it's that kind of hate to love. Um, so, um, but I just think I just think that kind of tension is really fun because sometimes also um, feelings feelings are complicated. You know, sometimes when you get the feel you you have so many feelings about a person, you just hate them on principle because why are they making you feel that way? <laughs> so yeah. I also love exploring that aspect of it. You just you just hate them because they're on your mind all the time. Um, but then you. But the truth is you you have a lot of you maybe you like them or love them so yeah no yeah. and this book I mean it is overflowing with that <laughs> tension between them and there's a lot of like really blush worthy passionate <laughs> kiss scenes um but then also their bickering is so good and the things that are keeping them apart are so believable like it's not you know sometimes I feel like we can as writers we fall into this trap of like oh I just need something to keep these lovers apart Mm -hmm. for longer so we can like make something up that may or may not feel Mm -hmm. right for the story there's none of that here like it just there are things legitimate things (laughs) reasons they can't be together reasons that they get on each other's nerves constantly (laughs) um and yet you can feel that palpable tension between them Mm -hmm. Um, how do you go about, or how did you go about thinking of them in terms of characters needed in this romance story? Like, did they, did you like come up with Violet and then have to think, well, okay, well, what kind of guy would Violet fall for? Or how did that happen? I, um, I started out with, I think, the idea of overturning the fairy tale first. So I created Cyrus as this, he's supposed to be this kind of dreamy fairy tale prince to the point of like almost parody, right? But, mm-hmm. like, the, <laughs> the, but like that, like I he gets, you know, quite early on in the story, he he does a little game with his fans and he literally gets mobbed <laughs> and gets his shirt torn into pieces. <laughs> um, uh, which is also apparently a scene in Ella Enchanted, which I actually did not know until afterwards. Um, so when I created his character, um, he's supposed to be this, this very honorable prince. Um, and I, I think, I think I just, I just wanted to put them together and like see what would happen. And it, it is just a very natural kind of cat and dog interaction. I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I try to look deeper into character motivations rather than um, some external conflict. I want it to be a clash of values, a clash of personalities, because I think those are the things that really keep people apart. Um, And you can still care about the other person due to reasons like, you know, you want them, you you want them to live a good life, or maybe they saved your life when you were younger, or you see the glimmer of goodness in them, um, and you can't help but hold on to that hope. So, you know, even even though their personalities clash, you know, they have these little things that keep them compelling to each other, and they keep reaching for those things, even if they start arguing immediately afterwards in these scenes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think um, I love that idea of really focusing in on uh I can't remember the word you use but their their value I think it was value motivations yes yes the things that really matter to them Mm -hmm. on a really deep level Mm -hmm. are constantly at odds with each other and it's hard to 
you know, have yeah. a happily ever after with someone when you're fighting on a moral level like this. Yeah, I I think it's also really funny because um, I know a lot of people love book boyfriends, and I was not thinking about that whatsoever when I created Cyrus. I was I was not thinking. I was like, oh, will people find him hot or something like that? Um, but I know a lot. Of, I know that's like I know a lot of people love that stuff, but. Um, like I intentionally made him kind of a buzzkill. He was like, he was like, Violet just like insults him at every turn. He's like, he's so honorable. He's like, he's never gonna get anywhere in life like that, you know. Um, so you know, she just insults him the entire time, and you know, she does say that he's hot, but it's like whatever. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if like readers like him or not, but I I just think it's funny that way. Um, because I think of- I know I like him and I love oh, that like wasn't intentional on your part because I think that you made somehow managed to make a very dreamy book boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I Cyrus will be glad to hear that Violet would probably roll her eyes. Oh but, yeah, no, that's, Violet that's and I I love Violet as a character. I don't think we would get on super well. <laughs> That's okay. Or maybe she's like, like a yin and yang thing. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes she'll, sometimes she'll come around. See, sometimes she'll be like, oh, and all these like, you know, uh, happy, optimistic people. But deep inside, she's like, oh, why can't I be a little more like them? It would be so much easier. Like maybe, maybe I'm missing something. Right. I think she can be very easily charmed, actually. You, you would probably charm her, I think. It just, you just need to like <laughs> paw at her for a little while and she has to come around. She, she's not going to, you know that she won't admit she, she likes anyone at first glance so you have to like circle back around a few times yeah you have to be persistent I can be persistent yeah um but it's funny that you say that that she kind of like has maybe is feeling a, like a, she wishes she could be more like the the, the happy mm-hmm. optimistic people but for so many of us um I mean I think that I love her character and characters like her so much because I wish I could be a little bit more like mm-hmm. that, like a little bit more frank, a little bit more willing mm-hmm. to like not care what people think. And I love seeing that in fiction. Mm-hmm. I think um, the fun part about this for me is, is that a lot like uh, that is the dream for a lot of people to be this very outspoken, confident person, which like I totally understand. But I, from writing the viewpoint of someone who is that person at heart, who is who is very maybe honest to a fault, maybe realistic to a fault, like pra- practical to a fault, their dream is to really like they wish they could loosen up a little more or they could feel safer. They wish they don't have to be strong all the time, um, even though they can be and will be, but it's, it's very tiring for them. And they wish they could, they look at all these people going to the balls like, Oh, I wish I could turn off my brain for two hours and just enjoy myself. But they, they can't. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay. I want to switch topics a little bit. There are of course, a lot of prophecies throughout this book Mm -hmm. because Violet is a seer. She can see the future. She has prophetic (laughs) dreams. And I love prophecy and fiction in part because of that element of never quite knowing what the (laughs) truth is. And, you know, can it be changed? Is it set in stone? What does it really mean? They're always like vague Mm -hmm. and teasing. How did you go about thinking about the prophecies and how you were going to incorporate them into the story? For, uh, well, for me, I, I chose sort of a general conflict at first. So I, I knew uh, there was going to be a terrible prophecy around Cyrus's love life. I knew it would probably affect the entire kingdom. 
And then I started sketching out prophecies based on that. And then if I had to go back to add more details, I would do that. Um, honestly, a lot of times the prophecies throughout the book were just written because I had thought of something like I thought of a rhyme or a couple of words and I was like oh I love this I love coming up with like just a few like nonsense words that just go string together really well and I was like oh I wonder if I'll have any time to to, to put that into the story and then I usually ended up doing just doing that um they were all just mostly the gods taunting Violet saying you're gonna be evil <laughs> um, <laughs> in various ways but it's very fun when they do that um so I think like at, at the at the base of it, it, it was just, I just started with the conflict itself and then I wrote the prophecy to lead up to that. Um, um, and then, yeah, I just I just tweaked it as I needed to. I think the, the one I kept tweaking was the original prophecy because I was like, does this make sense enough for what's, for everything that's coming um, later? And then also I had to think about, uh, because it's not Violet who gets the original prophecy, it's the seer who came before her. Um, when she, as on her deathbed, Sierra Felicita kind of had a last gasp of a prophecy before she immediately passed away. And I had to think, I was like, oh, I wonder what she was seeing in her dying moments. So I also had to adjust for that as well. <laughs> That's a wonderful thought to have. <laughs> Did you ever have where you came up with a prophecy, like some of these words just came into your mind and you're like, I love that. I want to use that. But did it ever really kind of throw the story for a loop? Um, I don't think so, but that's because I tend to revise a lot. So I never think about, like, I, I'm never too married to like a single phrase mm. or a single situation. I'm, I'm very flexible in that way. Um, probably because that's a little bit because I come from fan fiction and a little bit because the way I write, my mind tends to be all over the place and thinking about five things at once. So sometimes I end up writing those five things as one thing um, that that just comes very naturally to me. Um, but um, that's also why I tend to write a few chapters at a time. I think it's called like a flashlight method or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, I, I don't remember the exact term, but it's I, I think that's very good for anyone who uh, who keeps who gets bored writing chronologically, but also needs to write chronologically in order to make the rest of the story make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of the in between the, the yeah. plotter versus pantser debate. Yeah. You plot a little ways ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Not so if you get bored, like with this chapter, you can write like two chapters ahead. You'll probably be still be on the path. You just got to backtrack a little later. Yeah. Um, I do also want to talk about the influence of fairy tales on this mm. book because I obviously am a fairy tale <laughs> lover. Everybody knows, tale about, knows this about me. <laughs> um, and I loved how, like, this is not a retelling per mm -hmm. se, but there's clearly a lot of references mm -hmm. to different stories. And so that made me really happy, <laughs> like, picking up on all the little Easter eggs that you dropped yeah. in there for us. Um, what was for you like what, what do you think the influence of fairy tales was uh on the story I've always loved fairy tales but like I've always always loved every single kind of fairy tale like you get it give me a straight up retelling like I will also devour that my my first ones were from Robin McKinley like mm -hmm. I think the beauty is my canonical idea of beauty and the beast I actually don't remember another version of beauty and the beast like more clearly I think I just assumed that was the original version when I was younger <laughs> I love um, um, I wasn't aware it was like well like I, I knew it was on Disney and I, I I knew it was French and very old but as far as I knew Robin McKinley like 
Robin McKinley was writing the canon. Um, <laughs> and um, so I, I, I love uh, strict retellings, but I also love stuff like Shrek, which is what I always cite when I talk about this book, because it's a it's like a big fairy tale mashup. It has winks and nudges if you love the genre. And also it has it stars someone very grumpy who just wants people out of their swamp, um, <laughs> which I think is like the same thing. <laughs> um, and I think it's 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 like a I think Violet is is fun in that self aware way I think like Violet is very aware she's in a narrative or in some sort of narrative I think that's fun because in the, within the story she knows because there's a prophecy and she has to weave this narrative so that it makes sense for the public um so so when she's talking about it it kind of sounds like she's aware she's in a fairy tale which she kind of so that, that part is intentional uh she she pretty much is um so that was that was really fun for me because I think like I as much as I would love to do like a, a strict retelling I think it's playing with the meta elements that is most fun with me because I have read so many fairy tales I mm. love just taking the archetypes and twisting them a little um, I love that everyone knows about these stories so that I can I'm able to twist these archetypes and people are like oh I see what she did there uh-huh. um, and they're all and they're also familiar with. Um, these like pe- people are now familiar with villain origin stories. Everyone has a villain, uh, a fairy tale villain story now. There's like Disney has their range, mm-hmm. and we also had. Um, oh, we also have your books. So, so everyone like knows these archetypes, and I think that's that's what makes them fun to play with because you can defy readers' expectations, but you can also defy those expectations as well. You don't you don't know how you're going to like uh, overturn these tropes exactly, but they know what you're playing with. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And it's a fun reminder to people who love fairy tales or who maybe just love, you know, classic literature or classic stories or mythology um, that, of course, there's always room for more straight up retellings. Mm-hmm. But you can also take these stories and honor them and mm-hmm. play with them in a multitude of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed the way that you kind of work them in while really creating your own fairy tale. Yeah, I think when you read the epilogue, you will understand what I mean for that, especially. I think that was that's the most fairy tale part of the book. I wanted mm-hmm. to commit to making a fairy tale as well as something that maybe referenced fairy tales. Yeah. Um, and I think the epilogue is what makes it a story about stories. Oh, fun. Okay, something to look forward to. <laughs> All right. My last question before we move on to our bonus round, Mm -hmm. um, would you talk about something, maybe one of the biggest challenges that you feel like you've had in your writing career or your writing journey so far? And how would you say that you overcame that? I think for me, it was just learning how to write a book again in the sense that I, I came from fan fiction, which is very different. And I knew it would be very different. but like only knowing how to write like half of the things going into writing an original novel was very interesting because with fan fiction, you don't have experience with world building generally or uh, introducing characters for the first time for people. Mm -hmm. So I had, so I got stuck at the beginning of Violet for like, like a year and a half, maybe I, it it went through many iterations because none of it just felt right. And I was like, I was like, I just didn't know what I was doing. I was like, do, do people 
like, I, I kept reading the beginning of books and I was like, oh, I'm trying to understand how readers like, like to be introduced to characters and how we learn characters as we read books. Um, which is very funny because it's like, I've read a lot of books, but then like now I've had to pay attention to all these characters being mm-hmm. introduced at the beginning of books. And I'm like, wait, how is this, how is this information all entering my brain? I was like, I can do it like this. I can do it like that. But then like when I tried to do it in my own manuscript, I was like, oh, none of this seems to make sense. And I like, I think the current beginning of Violet was not the beginning of Violet for the longest time. I switched around, like, I think like the prologue, there, there was a prologue. There's no prologue now. There used to be a prologue. Um, the stuff that was in the prologue is now in chapter three. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, I, and I think like everything in chapter one was in a completely different order at some time. Um, and finally it became the order it is now in the published book. Um, so I think that's the hardest part. Um, luckily, I had a lot of time to figure that out. I was not in a rush to get published. So for me personally, um, time was the biggest factor in uh, overcoming that. And then having many, many different people read my manuscript mm-hmm. um, through the drafts. Um, that is the most, like the community is the most helpful part um, in your early writing process, I think. Like you cannot do this maybe you can do it alone but I I cannot imagine doing this alone I would not have been able to do this without people telling me oh like you know your prose is good you know these these character arcs are so interesting and I'm like oh thank you so much I'm like doing something right you know it doesn't it doesn't have to be that in depth it's just realizing from someone else going you're you're doing okay I'm like oh thank god (laughs) I agree completely I can't even imagine not having that both for the support and the encouragement, but also for the critique and the advice. And it Mm -hmm. really is just so valuable. Yeah. It's, I think it's just because we're always stuck in our own worlds, especially if you're a fantasy writer, when you're writing, you just need that reminder sometimes Mm -hmm. that there's a world outside as well. And also like you can, you can bounce off so many things with friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and likewise with your, your commentary on fan fiction. Um, and I, I went through the exact same thing. Like you've written fan fiction for so long and it's like, wait, now I have to describe my own characters. (laughs) Um, and I remember after Cinder came out, suddenly people were asking me like, but what does Cinder look like? You never actually describe her. And I was like, what do you mean? I never describe her. Like I could see her so perfectly. And I never realized that there's like no description in the first book. No, I uh, totally understand what you mean because I do like I in- very intentionally describe Violet like fairly early on and a couple times throughout the, the book, but I feel like I don't describe her very much compared to most people or yeah. most books. And I'm like, oh, I'm so I'm so sorry. Unfortunately, yeah. I can't see her perfectly <laughs> in my head. <laughs> it is harder to do in first person too, because like yes. you don't want to do the cliche like looking at a mirror. Yeah, you know? she looks in the mirror once, and I'm like, okay, that's enough. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> good enough moving on I mean it's also like well like would Violet want to perceive herself and she'd she'd just look at herself and be like yeah that's me I don't know why you want to know anything more than that yeah I know and how often do you sit there and like be like oh here's my long wavy hair that's the color you know you just don't do that (laughs) all right excellent are you ready for our bonus round Oh, I hope so. <laughs> it's coming whether I want to or not. Yeah, no, you're you've got this. Uh, tea or coffee? Oh, tea. I don't drink coffee at all. Writing in a computer or writing in a notebook? 
Computer. What is your favorite writing snack? Ooh, fruit. Uh, would you rather be a queen or a seer? Oh, a seer. <laughs> no hesitation, really. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't care for like Violet. I don't care for the royalty stuff. Mm. Um, I would. I'm, I'm very witch in a cottage in the woods. Hands on, <laughs> like hands in the dirt kind of thing. Well, in that case, would you rather be able to see into someone's past or see into their future? Future. The past, I can Google that. (laughs) Uh, If you were invited to the masked menagerie, what sort of animal would you represent? (gasps) Oh, I was thinking a fox at first, but that's actually Cyrus. Although Mm. I would love to be, I would love to be a fox among his foxes. (laughs) Do you have a favorite writing craft book? Uh, I like to go through the Wonder Book by Jeff Vandermeer because it's very, it's illustrated. It's very pretty. I don't go through it all the way through, but I love just cracking it open. I just got a copy of that earlier this year and I haven't read it yet. And I'm very excited too. It's just gorgeous. Yeah, no, it is. Just flipping through it is like, wow, this Mm -hmm. is really beautiful. How do you fill the creative well? Uh, reading just reading more books what book makes you happy <gasps> oh no all books make me happy I love uh, books so I have this terrible habit of when I read a book I forget it like immediately even if mm-hmm. I love it um but every time I find a new book that's that's what that's what it makes me happy um I love every new no- novella that comes up I'm very excited for our next one it's coming up in like this fall what are you working on next? Oh, Violet Book 2. <laughs> Can you tell us anything about it? It is going to be um, both more hopeful and also darker in, in ways, is, is how I would phrase it. I, it's very interesting because I cannot describe the second book without completely spoiling the first one <laughs> I know um, how it is yeah but it, I think it, it's also going to mirror the uh first book's structure so I'm expecting an epilogue that is kind of similar okay <laughs> <laughs> lastly where can people find you oh, on actual Gina I am actual Gina on all social media and also actualgina.com is my website um, do not be fooled by the fake cheetahs. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Gina, thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you for having me. This was so fun. And I love talking to you. Fairy tale queen. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So we have so much to talk about. Yeah. Yes. No, I, I truly enjoyed this book and, and this conversation has been delightful. <laughs> Readers, definitely check out Violet Made of Thorns. It is available now. Of course, we encourage you to support your local indie bookstore. If you don't have a local indie, you can check out our affiliate store. That is at bookshop.org shop slash Marissa Meyer. And don't forget to check out the new Happy Writer merchandise store on Redbubble. Next week, I will be talking with debut author Alicia Thompson about her quirky adult romance, Love in the Time of Serial Killers. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay healthy, stay cozy, and whatever life throws at you today, I hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier. 